Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. We're going to get a little personal this morning, amen? Right? How many love getting your toes stepped on every so often? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. This is a not trying to make your toes bleed. We're just trying to get you to be aware of what's going on. Amen? And I believe I have a word for you because we're speaking on on the verge. Everyone say on the verge. On the verge of breakthrough. On the verge of blessing. On the verge of, of, um, of outpouring. Not on the verge of breakdown. Not on the verge of not enough. Not on the verge of divorce. We are on the verge of breakthrough. And I want you to understand that God has in, in his plan... How many know you can't have a breakthrough without having an opposition? You can't have a miracle without having impossibility. You can't have a victory without having a war. Oh, come on, somebody. And we, we, want, we want breakthrough. We want miracle. We want victory, but we don't want the battle. We don't want the impossibility, and we don't want opposition. But in order to have these things, in order for a miracle, an environment for a miracle to even be possible, you have to have an impossibility. And so I want you to trust God today to know that your impossibility isn't there for God to destroy you. The impossibility is there so that you could come into reality of who God is and what God wants to do in your life. And so you're not on the verge of breakdown. You're not on the verge of bankruptcy. You're on the verge of blessing today and miracles. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 17, um, it tells a story of Elijah who prophesied that it would not rain for three and a half years and not a drop of water falls. And I want, I want to preface it by saying it this way. In a community where agriculture is their main source of income, where there's no rain, there's no plants, there's no fruit, so as a result, there's no money. Come on, somebody. That would be like here in the Silicon Valley, all the tech companies folding up. Three years, no Google not being able to make a dime, uh, Apple not making anything, not, you know, Cisco Systems not being able to create it for three years, just a, 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 all these companies shutting down. The financial impact it would have for three and a half years where this is going on. This is the climate that these people are in right here. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 7, we read through verse 9, it says this, It happened after a while that the brook dried up. Someone say brook dried up. Because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Pray with me now. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to share with you this morning about how to thrive, not just survive. How do we go from survival to thriving in the climates where it feels like you're, you're going through a famine. How many have ever experienced a famine before? Yeah. We, we went through a drought last year, but we still had food in California, right? You know, we went through a major drought. But 
the reality is that the famine we're talking about isn't always a famine of food. There have been times that we've gone through financial famines, right? You got more month than you have money. More bills than you have resources. How many have ever gone through a, don't raise your hand, gone through a famine in a relationship? Where all of a sudden uh, there's no there, there's a famine of love, a famine of understanding, a famine of famine of compassion, of being able to communicate. Don't look at your husband and shake your head, girl. And so I, I want you to understand that there's those times in your life that that we go through these famines. And we go through these, maybe a famine of health where all of a sudden you're getting all this bad news from the doctor. And you, you find yourself, no matter how much you're trying, you find yourself in a famine. Well, there, there's a famine going on in the land. And Elijah is the one that prophesied this famine. And God takes him to a, a little brook where God provides for him. But in that time that God provides for him at this brook where there's no water, God provides water. Listen, I'm here to tell you something. That no matter what the famine is in the land in California, in the United States of America, doesn't matter what happens to the stock market. My God is not the stock market. My financial hope is not the economy. My economy is connected to my God. God is my source, not my job. Let me try it again. I said, God is my source, not my job. Amen. If this church were to shut down, if you were to stop giving, if no one gave another dime to CWC or to God, we would continue to not only sur survive, but we would thrive. Why? Because this church belongs to God. I belong to God, and my hope isn't connected to a man. My hope is connected to the God that spoke the word and created all the world and put it into order. So you need to recognize that you might your, your paycheck might say apple, but apple is your brook. It's not your source. And there are times that your brook dries up. There are times where your, your, your resource, not your source, your resource dries up. And this is what happens with Elijah. The, the brook dries up. And so I need you to understand this morning, never mistake, listen closely, Never mistake your resource as your source. Because the moment your resource becomes your source, it's going to end up drying up. Because God wants you to always understand, I'm your source. Not your job. Not your education. Not your abilities. Not your knowledge. I'm your source. Come on, somebody. So... I want you to kind of, kind of set this up. So the, the famine's going on for three and a half years, all right? Three and a half years, economic crash, no rain means no food. And the, the book of James puts it this way. It says, Elijah was a man, just like a human, just like us. And when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. You imagine having that kind of boldness with God? That kind of influence with God? But do you realize that you have more influence with God than Elijah did? Why? Because Elijah had the Spirit of God fall on him and then move on. Fall on him and move on. Elijah never had the experience of what it was to have the Holy Spirit live inside of him. You have that right. 
You have the ability. They look forward to what we enjoy. And yet Elijah had the power and the ability to say a prayer and totally transform the course of history. So I'm here to tell you that every one of you is just like God and you create with the words that you speak out of your mouth. And that's why many of us are experiencing a famine in our body, a famine in our finances, a famine in our marriage, a famine in our spiritual walk because we prayed things flippantly. And so now we are experiencing famine that you never should have met, that God never meant for you to be in, but you've spoke things over your life. Things will never work out for me. God will never bless me. I'll never be able to have a happy relationship. I'll never serve God. I'll never be close to God. I'll never be, I'll never be financially free. You need to stop declaring those negative things over your life. Because you were created in the image of God with the power to create environments by the words that you speak. And I declare right now, I break every negative word curse that you've spoken over your life, every word curse that's been spoken over your life by other people, and I declare as a father of this house that you will be blessed, that you will be whole, that you will be, that you will be the head and not the tail, a lender and not a borrower, above and not beneath. I declare over your life right now that you will excel and that you will dominate. Somebody need to just grab that right there. That, that's, that, that's right. You just need to grab that and say, that's mine. You need to apply that to your life right now. So you got to be careful what you say. Look at your neighbor and tell him, be careful what comes out of your mouth. See, what's a trip is Elijah said the prayer, but Elijah had to deal with the repercussions of that prayer as well. He had to deal with that famine, okay? But I, I tell you, listen, listen to me very closely, Okay? We've all experienced financial famine. We've experienced relational famine, maybe physical famine. We've experienced different famines in our lives. But I tell you, there's one famine I could never deal with. The one famine I could never get by with is a famine of hearing the voice of God. Because if I have a financial famine, I can hear a word from God and God will give me direction as to where to go. I might be sick in my body, but if there's a famine in my body, there's still a voice of God that says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. That in the midst of my relational crisis, as long as I can hear the voice of God, my life has the ability to be transformed. I'm here to tell you, if there's one thing that you need to always and ever have a famine in, you got to be able to hear the voice of God in your life. Remove those things that are yelling in your ear that are taking away your ability to hear what God is saying to you because you're hearing what the world says instead of what God says. God says, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God that heals you. In the midst of your, your, your trouble, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the God, your peace. And you got to stop listening to all the naysayers that are out there and begin to hear what God is speaking. I tell you, I can deal with a lot of famines in life, and I've gone through a lot of famines in my life in various ways. But I could never go through a famine where I can't hear the voice of God. I have to hear the voice of God. See, I don't understand how some of us can go through our lives without ever opening his word. I don't understand how we can get through life without hearing his voice. And some of us have gotten so used to famine, you think that's the way life is. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan has always been to speak to you. 
and to share with you. Now, let, let me take you somewhere, okay? You with me this morning? Verse 8 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Now, what's a trip is he, God tells him, I want you to arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow. Check this out. A widow. The, the brook's dried up. I'm going to send you to a widow to take care of you. And not only just a widow, I'm going to take you to a widow that doesn't even know who I am. In a different town, in a different place, and you're going to ask, she's going to take care of you. But there's no evidence that God ever spoke to the widow. How do you convince someone else what God told you when God never spoke to them? That, that's a tough deal. I remember when I first got to Manteca, I had came driving up in a little red truck, and you know I was just out of Bible college. I was buffed. I was looking good. Had the had the had the uh, business in the front, party in the back, and there was some uh, you know I had the mullet going on. You know, long it was my hair was long back in the day. Hey, it looked good. Okay, and I I, re- I remember driving into town working with Bishop at the church in Manteca, and some girl came came up to me. And she had like. And no, no, I'm, I'm not hating on any of y'all, but she had like three kids. She wasn't all that. And she said, you know, you're an answer to my prayer. I said, really? She goes, yeah, the Lord told me that my, my husband was going to drive up into town in a red truck. I sold that truck the next week. Good job. <laughs> when, when she said, the Lord told me you were going to be my husband, I was like, I'm sorry, he did not tell me that. And I obey the Lord, but you know what? There was, that was one famine of hearing the voice of God. I was like, no. Uh. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let me go on here, okay? But there was no evidence that God ever spoke to her. And this widow, let me tell you about this widow. That This widow, number one, she doesn't know God. She, she's in an ungodly place. And I tell you this, many of you feel like God doesn't love you or that God, you're, you've gone so far away from God that God would never love you enough to do something for you. Yet here's a widow that doesn't even know who God is, and God loved her enough to send a prophet to her in the midst of a famine to take care of her. God loves you so much that he will go out of his way to meet your need. He will go out of his way even when you feel like you've gone so far and there's no hope for you. God will go out of his way to make a way for you. And so her husband's God. She's living in poverty. They're barely surviving. They're on the verge of death. They're on the verge of but not on the verge of breakthrough. They feel like they're on the verge of death. And the Bible says that she's literally going to eat their last meal and die. She's given up on hope. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been at that place where you've given up hope, on that place where you feel like you have no hope, where the light at the end of the tunnel is a train coming to kill you. We get to those points in our lives where we've given up hope, but I want to give you something here. In the midst of this lady's situation, Elijah shows up. God shows up. And I want you to know in the midst of your famine, God will show up, not in the way that you expect him to. Oh, someone's got to hear me this morning. You know what? If, if, I'm that, if I'm that widow, I expect God to show up with the Chick-fil-A gift card. Come on. 
or she's gonna, he's going to show up with, with just all this food, going to show up with a truckload of food that's going to get us through this famine that's going to happen for another two years. And in the midst of all that stuff that's going on, I expect God to show up one way, but he shows up another. But how many are thankful he shows up? Oh, come on. I want to give you three points very quickly about how to thrive and not survive. How to break out of your famine in life. How to move beyond the famine. First thing I want you to see that, that, he, that, uh, that Elijah did was this, is arise. We have to get to the place where we arise. We got to get to the place where we stand up. Notice this, he says, you thrive when you arise. He tells him, arise and go to Zarephath. He tells him, arise. Arise literally means this. Arise means to get up. Arise means to establish, to stand up, or to set up. So when God says to arise, he's not just saying, just get up. He's saying, literally, I want you to, st- I want you to take a stand. I want you to say, this is where it ends. Establish right now. This is where I stand. I want you to arise right now. Some of you are allowing the winds and waves of your situations to blow you you one way and to blow you the other. And you find yourself, yeah, I'm committed to God. And then the wind blows you. I don't want to, I don't even love God. I don't want to know God. I want to get out of here. I'm going to serve. I'm I'm going to to be committed to my wife. I'm going to be, no, I'm leaving her. And you just don't know what you're going to do. There's no identification. One day, you're on fire for God. One day, you're bipolar spiritually. And God says, you need to arise. You need to take a stand and figure out, what are you going to do? Arise. Because when you arise, it's saying this, establish, to set, or to stand up. I want you to know it means literally a plan of action. God has a plan for your life. But you got to stand up. You know, you know what arising also does? Arising changes your perspective. It gives me a new way of looking at things. Because many of us are so far down in our problems, and when you're just sitting in the middle of your situation, all you see is hopelessness. But God says, I want you to arise. Because when you rise, you can see what you thought was an op- opposition is literally what you thought were, 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 were um, stumbling blocks are actually your stepping stones. They're going to get you to a new level. But you got to get up. You know what? The pity party needs to stop. You have a party every week and you're the guest of honor. Got your hat on, the cake, and every you know, invite to call everyone up, and you're just sitting there crying about your sit. Get up, Amen. stand up, Amen. rise up, Amen. establish yourself. It's time to establish yourself. It's time to stand for God. It's time to rise up. It's time to stand there and say this. This famine might not change, but I'm going to change. This famine might not go away, but God's going to provide for me in the midst of this thing. Come on, somebody. So what's he do in verse 10? The Bible says, so he arose. Somebody say he arose. Say, I want you to understand that too many of us have given up on life. We don't get up. We just sit there and we just wait for the next wave of bad news to come in. You got to get up. I'm here to tell you right now that it's time to get up. I'm sorry, that's not Luke 17. That's 1 Kings 17. Uh, All these scriptures are are, are in 1 Kings. I don't know how I I messed that one up. Please forgive me. 
Okay. Um, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, there was a widow gathering sticks. So the very thing that God told him is happening. He gets there and this widow is sitting there collecting sticks. Notice what he does here. He called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup. What? Dude, do you know that there's been a famine going on for three and a half years? Some, some stinking dumb prophet made this comment about, hey, let it not rain here. And now it hasn't rained for three and a half years. And now you're coming to me asking for a cup of water. You go, oh, by the way, I'm Elijah. I'm the one that prayed that prayer. So you're responsible for the condition me and my family are in right now. Look, look, what, he, look what happens. Give me a little water that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, check this out. He asked her to get her a drink. There's a fam- water's like gold at this time. And yet she's willing to do it. That shows the heart of this lady. Willing to give. And so she goes to get the water. And then he says, as she's on her way, stop. Uh, could you uh, also make me a little something to eat as well while you're at it? Oh, there's a lot of Latin ladies in this place right now. <laughs> They're like, say what? You, you, want, you want me to do what? You, wait, wait a minute. You want me to give you water? First of all, we're in the middle of a famine. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. So you want me to give you some of my water. Then you want me to make you something to eat. And we ain't got no food around here. You want me to make you something to eat. I can imagine her. I can imagine just the thought in her mind. She's like, say what? The second thing I want you to understand, you thrive when you obey. You got to arise, but you have to obey as well. What am I talking about? Look, Look at verse 12. So she said, as the Lord God lives, many of us want breakthrough, but we don't want to obey the word of God. We want God to to heal us. We want God to bless us. We want God to to set us free. We want God to to, to be there in that, that, that relationship. But we don't want to obey what God says. So she said, as the Lord God lives, I do not have bread. In other words, I can't give you what I don't have. I only have a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. And she's just like us. She's giving him reasons why she can't obey. Come on, somebody. You know, I, I really got God, I really want to obey. I really want to get to church, but you know, you got that reggae fest coming up pretty soon. You know, I just can't, you know. And you know, I get out there and something happens, you know. I, I'll, I love you and everything, but you know, the football season's coming up. I love you, God, but you know, Sundays, I just can't be there on Sundays because my team plays and you know, I can't. You ever hear of DVR? Some of us are more committed to our sports teams than we are to God. Because we will work our schedules around our sports teams, but we won't work our schedules around God. Oh, I'm sorry. Did, I was just thinking that. I didn't realize it actually. And she says, I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. See, I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That we may eat it and die. Hopelessness. This is it. And Elijah comes walking in and says, well, that's cool. Give me something to drink. Make me a little something to eat first. 
and then do what you said you're going to do and make it for you and your kid. I guarantee you this. If CNN was around back then, social media, Twitter, Snapchat, it would have been all over the place. Stinking profit, stealing last meal from <laughs> widow. It would have been all over. It would have been all over the news, or you would have seen it on CNN. It would have been on all on Hannity Live and all these things, all these shows. You would have saw it all on there. It would have been all over Facebook, where the prophet takes the last meal from this the stinking men of God. Look at the way they treat, and they would. It would have been all over the place. It would have been all over the place, and yet he, that's what he tells her. You see, I need you to understand, when it comes to God, it's not for you to understand, it's for you to obey. That's what gets us in trouble. We're so busy trying to understand what God asked us to do that we end up stuck in our famine instead of getting blessed in the midst of famine. Sometime my miracle is tied up to someone else's need. Now, follow me on this. Obedience wasn't going to provide a miracle just for Elijah, but for the widow and her son as well. See, the Bible says in in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Don't tell me you love God if you're not willing to obey him. Obedience is is the proof that shows you love God. Now, now stay with me. We're almost done here. In fact, Omaha, if you could help me. To obey is more important than just to do. It's to protect, to guard, to observe, and to take care of. King David said, thy word I've hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. So when we take the word of God, it's not just saying I believe it. It's about obeying it. It's about living it. And many of us are experiencing lack in our lives because of disobedience. The famine you're experiencing isn't because God doesn't love you. It's because we're being disobedient. Man, it's quiet in this place. Fear and doubt keep us from obeying God. But I want you to look at verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 17. What he says here. Look at this. Elijah says to her, do not fear. Elijah tells her, do not fear. Because he's just giving her a way out. But what she's thinking about, this is, the, this is it. If I give you this, we're done. It's over. And yet fear will always keep us from stepping across the line and trusting God. Fear will always keep us in poverty. But I want you to understand that you'll thrive when you arise. You'll thrive when you obey. But lastly, number three, you will thrive, each and every one of us, when we put God first. When we prioritize who God is. When we put God number one in our lives what am I talking about look at this he says go and do as you've said go ahead go make that that mill make the fire get the mill ready for you and your your family but he says this but make me a small cake first what make me a small cake first bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourself and your son now, now, how many moms in this place would do that? A couple of y'all. But how many of you moms, you know that this is the last meal for you and your child, are going to take a meal out of your child's mouth and give it to someone else? You got moms, mm, sister about to break your neck back there. <laughs> Heck no. Moms are, moms are, it's all about their kids. I'm not, I'm not giving you something. Uh-uh. And yet this woman is at a point where she has a little hope 
but there's fear. Rightfully so. Make you something first. Should, should I, but it, what if, and if I do this, what are people going to say? My, my, what am I going to tell my child? I mean, how, it's, all these things are running through her mind. You know, what, what, what do I do here? She's in this, this place. But I want you to understand that your when is just as important as your what. What am I telling you? When you give something to God is just as important as what you give to God. Because God wants to be first. God expects to be first. God wants to be a priority. God doesn't want your leftovers. God doesn't want you to give him what's left over of your time, of your money, or your resources. God wants to know that you love him enough to place him first. How many of us pray at the end of the day and that's the only time that we get into pray and by the time we lay down in bed to pray, you're so tired that you just have nothing really left. Lord, just so. How many of you would invite the president over for dinner and then when he gets there, just start pulling out of the refrigerator? Ah, we had some spaghetti yesterday. Here, we'll warm that up. And I think we had, oh, you know what? Here's some pot roast that we had a couple days ago. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that for most of your friends, let alone a dignitary. Come on, somebody. You would give your best in preparation for that event. Yet when it comes to God, we give God leftovers. We give God what's left over after we've taken care of everything else. And what the principle here that God is saying is that you want to be on the verge of breakthrough. you got to place me first. And that, in fact, the order is so vital that he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, but seek ye first. The, the, the order's valuable. Seek ye first the kingdom or his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things, go back and read Matthew chapter 6. What are those things? What are those things? It's food. It's, it's covering. It's clothing. It's healing. It's provision. Whatever you need, if you would place me first, I got you covered. God demands to be first. Let me, let me put it to you this way. As the worship team takes their place, because this is, this is important, Malachi chapter 6, you're like, oh, here comes that tithing message. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Don't worry, I'm not collecting an offering. In fact, I was talking with someone earlier about speaking on giving. I said, I'll never speak on giving when the church is in need. You hear me preach on giving, you know the church is doing well. Let me say that again. You will never hear me preach on money when the church is in financial struggle. Because I never want to preach out of need. Because then it becomes manipulative. And that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to have to twist arms to try to get something done. That, that's not what this is about. I want you to know that the CWC, we are doing well. God has blessed us. 
God has blessed us. We are, we are in a good, good place that we, could, that we could sow into our children what we did. We're, we're in a good place today. We're not in need. And why? I could say this because we're not relying on you. I'm relying on God. Come on, church. Some of you have been part of CWC for so long, but you've never contributed. So you're enjoying music you never paid for, air conditioning you never paid for, meals that you never paid for. And it's not about we're going to kick you out if you don't give. Never do that. But you're never going to get blessed. And you'll stay in famine, struggling, gathering sticks for your last meal until you put God first. Uh, This isn't a a money issue. This is an honor issue. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 says this. This is God talking. The Lord of the, the heaven's armies says to the priest, A son honors his father and a father and a servant his master. If I'm a father and a master, where is the honor and respect I deserve? This is God speaking. Don't you think God deserves honor and respect? And he goes on and says, yet you have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, and God, God's a little conversation with us. How have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. In those days that you would bring animals to offer up a sacrifice for your sin or, or to show your gratitude to God. And that's why Jesus died because he says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. And Jesus said, let's stop the animal thing. I'll give my life so no more animal has to die so that your sin could be covered. But I do want you to give a sacrifice of praise. I want you to honor me. I still want you to come and honor me and recognize how much I mean to you. He says this, verse 7 and 8, Then you ask, how have I defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of God deserves no respect. When you give, now check this out. They were giving blind animals a sacrifices. Isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Trying to give gift like that to your governor and see how, he, how pleased he is, says the Lord of hosts. You see, our, our giving, and I need you to grab a hold of this this morning. Because your blessings connected to your ability to honor God. And I've always said, people, you need to give more than we need to receive. Church will survive without giving, without your giving, because it's God's church. Now, we could do a whole lot more with giving. But giving isn't just about money, it's about worship. Now, you want to talk about tithing, or whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, how about as worship and honoring who God is? That giving is an act of worship. That giving is where we give in acknowledgement of who God is. And so our giving reflects our respect for God. Look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. I'm going to close here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you realize throughout the whole word, God always says, never test me. Don't test the Lord. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Only here does God say, test me in this. 
only in the area of giving. Because God says, if you could prioritize me, I'll prioritize you. God never held back his best from you that he gave his only son. So what am I telling you today? In our time, why not give God your best? With your talent, why not give God your best? With your treasure, why not give God your best? Are you holding out on God today? Are you just giving God your leftovers? Are you giving God the leftover of your time? Are you giving God the leftovers of your talent? Are you giving God the leftover of your finances? When I give, I give the very first thing I do is I give unto God. And it's not just 10% for me and my family. Why? Because I realize that the Old Testament said 10%, but grace doesn't lower the standard, it raises it. And so what we do is we give. Why? Because my dad taught me that I can never outgive God. The more I give, the more God gives back to me. I can't ex- explain how things have worked in our lives. All I know is that every time I've made God first, God has made me a priority. And we've never gone without. I'm here to tell you this morning that God loves you so much that he... He's demanding to be placed first in your life. Make me number one. God is saying, make me number one so that I could be, make you number one and take care of your needs as well. I want to bless you. I want to cover you. I want to protect you. He says, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven to pour out a blessing that you will not have room enough for. Oh, come on, somebody. How many have room right now? I said, how many have room? You got room for blessing. God, I have room. And my prayer, I'm faithful to God and giving. So I tell God, I got room. I got room over here. I got room for my kids. I got room for my family. I got room for my, for, my, for my hopes and my dreams. I got room for this. And I remind God, God, I got room for this. I need healing here. I need blessing here. And so I begin to declare, God, because I placed you first, because I prioritize you, now I can place a demand on him and say, God, because I prioritize you, I have a right to these things. He says, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. See, it's easy to put God first when you ain't got nothing. Because 10% of nothing is nothing, right? When you had nothing, it was easy to trust God, but now that God's blessed you, it gets harder to give. Right? All of a sudden it gets harder to give, but God could always take you back to that place where it was easy to give. Because giving is a matter of the heart, not the finances. Come on, church. This is where we close. I know I've been saying this, but this is it. Okay, hang in there. She makes the cake for the prophet. And verse 16 says, and the barrel of meal wasted not. In other words, it didn't run out. Neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of Elijah, or which was spoken 
by Elijah. The, the supply never ran out. Church, are you hearing me? This lady for two years goes back and she's getting ready to make that final cake. And she makes a cake for breakfast, lunch, dinner, comes back the next day. This is our final one. And she makes one for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And this goes on, not just for her and her son, but her, her son, and the prophet. Her, her son, and the prophet. And for three years, for another two years, it goes on where she continues, where the, 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 the flour doesn't run out, the oil doesn't run out. I'm here to tell you that when you place God first, his oil will never run out in your life. We got to shift some things. We got to reprioritize some things. Because I need you to understand that when we arise, when we obey, and we put God first, miracles will happen. It's time to reprioritize some things. I know you love God. And some of you are already thinking of reasons why you can't do the things I'm asking you to do right now. I'm not asking you. This is God. This is his word. I didn't write this. But what I am challenging you to do is to trust God. I heard a pastor give this, this analogy one time, and I've used it here. He says, God said, test me in this, and he told his church family that those of you that will trust God to start giving your tithe, do it for three months, 10%. Give your 10% for three months. And if God doesn't come through for you, the church will give you back your 10% that you've given those past three months. But it has to be 10% according to your pay stub. Don't give me this, yeah, we gave, you know. Forget it, I won't go in there. God says, test me in this. It's not because we're in need, but because you need to break that curse in your life. Place God first. Place God number one in your life. Place him number one in your relationships. Place him number one in your finances. Place him number one in your education. Place him number one at your job. Place him number one in your marriage. Begin to prioritize everything and put God as number one. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CWC Bay Area.